I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty gritty so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is Chris Motherfreakin' Gaines. Who is Chris Gaines? He was a pop rock act in the early 2000s who, for a brief moment in time, everyone thought was going to be the next big thing. The son of Australian swimmers, the former guitarist of the band Crush, launched his solo career in the mid-1990s to critical acclaim. However, after a car accident, a reissue of his greatest hits record, and a feature film in the works, Chris looked to be poised to be the greatest crossover act of the millennium. Until everyone realized that Chris Gaines was just Garth Brooks in a wig. cowboy hat for every receding hairline. Born February 7th, 1962, Troyal Garth Brooks. Yes, his name is Troyal. That's not a typo. Troyal was arguably the most important country act of the 1990s. Believe it or not, Brooks is the only artist in musical history to have released nine albums that have achieved the diamond status. Three more than the iconic Beatles. His records, Garth Brooks, no Fences, Rope in the Wind, The Chase, In Pieces, The Hits, Sevens, Double Live, and The Ultimate Hits all went multi-times diamond. Calling Tulsa, Oklahoma home, he's the youngest child to Troyal Raymond Brooks Jr., a draftsman for an oil company, and Colleen McElroy Carroll, a former country singer. As a child, Brooks often sang in casual family settings, but his primary focus was athletics. In high school, he played football, baseball, and ran track and field. Ultimately, he received a track scholarship to Oklahoma State University in Stillwater, where he competed in the javelin. At nights, he worked as a bouncer and formed his own band, Santa Fe. Brooks graduated in 1984 with a degree in advertising. Brooks would spend the next year playing in bars, gradually becoming more serious about the task of performing music. However, unlike most of the other would-be country musicians in Oklahoma, Brooks was not as interested in country music. He was more influenced by rock musicians, Towns Van Zandt and Dan Fogelberg. In 1985, entertainment attorney Rod Phelps drove from Dallas to listen to Brooks play. Being impressed with what he heard, Phelps offered to produce Brooks's first demo. The pair traveled to Nashville, where Phelps put their recording costs on a few credit cards. This gamble ultimately paid off. Before we get into the, these, this music too far, what's your what's your relationship like with old with old Garth Brooks? Are you familiar with with the stylings? Yeah, I mean, I was honestly going to ask you the exact same question because I was curious. Growing up in Arizona, I know you know that this might not be. People might not know this, but similar to the previous host of the show, Andrew, I also coincidentally grew up in New Mexico. And when we talk about Garth Brooks and the fact that he was like literally one of the highest selling musicians of all time, like one of the biggest musical acts ever, you know, having more diamond records than the Beatles. To me, that makes such intuitive sense because where I grew up in New Mexico, for that 
time period in the in the in the mid to late 90s, Garth Brooks was just like beyond a household name, beyond an institution. He was he was like he was just like everything. He was it was all aspects of pop culture were just Garth Brooks for a while. You know, in the same in the same way that people obsess over like the Kardashians, you know, people people obsessed over Garth Brooks in that area of the country, at least where I grew up. And I was curious if there was a similar if there was a similar thing in Arizona. And, you know, for me personally, uh, I you know, I, I, I liked Garth Brooks and listened to Garth Brooks when I was a kid. It's funny because I feel like a lot of younger kids from where I'm from, because we live in this sort of like rural place, this kind of like sort of redneck, rednecky type place where all the adults listen to country music. A lot of younger kids like rejected country music. You know, all, all of my peers from when I was in school growing up and stuff like that. You know, they were they were into like new metal and like hip hop and and stuff. And country music was lame. But I, I I always liked and still to this day like a lot of country music. So I liked Garth Brooks then. I still like a lot of Garth Brooks music now. But most of all, he was like God basically of of like rural United States. And I was curious if it was if it was the same for you. I don't know that it was exactly the same. I definitely knew a lot of people that liked him. I don't know that it ever really struck a chord with me in the same way. It's funny because you would think that I would really like country music considering how into cowboy stuff I was as a young person. Like I loved cowboys. Like I dressed as a cowboy until I was probably like nine. Like I slept on the floor. Like I had a bed, but I slept on the floor in a bedroll because I was so into cowboy stuff. Like... I loved it. The Rifleman was my favorite TV show. Wagon Train. Like, I loved all those, like, 50s and 60s cowboy TV shows, Western TV shows. But I don't know what it is about, like, especially pop country. I think the twang just never really kind of landed with me for so, for whatever reason. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have a I have an affinity for the, the 90s Nashville sound that more kind of like pop country. I, I, I don't I'm not I don't much care for what it kind of turned into now. The Brad Paisley of it all. Not a fan. But I like sort of, you know, that area at that that that, that uh, you know, Clint Black, Brooks and Dunn, Garth Brooks, Reba McIntyre. Yeah, I, I like Reba McIntyre. OK, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I, you know, I, I like that like 90s Nashville sound. And yeah, for sure. I, I was a, I was a fan of Garth Brooks, not like the hugest fan, but I was a fan. And and yeah, the, the interesting thing about Garth Brooks, which is I think the reason why he was so big was because and it's kind of it's kind of it makes a lot of sense, like getting into this backstory because, oh, he he graduated. He like he like went to school for like advertising. So that makes a whole lot of sense because, you know, he's from he's from Oklahoma. But, you know, you, you kind of get the sense that he's not like some legitimate country boy like you you get the sense that like the whole thing is kind of a character that he created not not to the extent of what chris gaines ends up being but like just as a as a celebrity and music musical entity he created the character of garth brooks which is like a generic country guy but his versatility in integrating more pop and like rock sounds into his music i think is probably the key to why he was so successful so massively because he appealed he had a really unique way of because that's the thing about if you if you look back into the history of country music country people who listen like country you know people especially people living in rural areas like they're really purist about country like there there was there were years there was decades when they literally didn't allow drums in country 
and if you and if you at if you had drums in your music you like you were like called a heretic and they wouldn't let you perform on stage at the Grand Ole Opry like drums were not allowed on the stage at the Grand Ole Opry because people associated drums with more of an R&B sound so if there was drums at all in your music you it wasn't real country it was R&B or it was rock and so they're like mega purists about it and whenever like the pop country Nashville sound started to get popular in the 1950s with producers like Chet Atkins and Owen Bradley and stuff like that they that was like this is not real country this is this is bullshit and then whenever country artists would cross over and do like more pop stuff they would they would like make their fan base mad but i think the the thing about Garth Brooks and the thing that reason why he was so massively popular and maybe this is something to do with his skills in advertising or whatever but he somehow was able to like smuggle in the pop without it being so apparent because there were there was always a lot of controversies whenever country artists would do a pop thing and the, the country fans would be like no fuck that that's pop that's not real country fuck you you've betrayed us but somehow garth brooks was able to appease those fans but then also have a poppier sound yeah i i'm i think we're going to spend a lot of time talking about like the character that he created as garth brooks versus the character he created as chris gaines because this is there's so much to break down. Yeah, I, I, it, there's so much to discuss. Garth Brooks' first self-titled album was released in 1989. It was an instant chart success. It peaked at number two on the Billboard Country Albums and reached number 13 on the Billboard Top 200. His first single, Much Too Young to Feel This Damn Old, was a country top 10 success. So we're, we're going to listen to this as his first single so we have something to compare the later music to. guy just wailing on this violin this old highway's getting longer it seems there ain't no inside sleep would be best that i just can't afford to rest i gotta ride in denver all night Call the house, but no one answered. For the last two weeks, no one's been home. <laughs> it's funny watching this this video of him performing, wearing this giant fucking black cowboy hat, and it just makes me wonder: Does he have a like humidity controlled? room where he keeps all his cowboy hats because you know he has like 50 of them oh i'm sure he does 100 percent also no drums that pedal steel yeah Competition's getting younger. Tougher bronze. You know I can't recall. 
something as you can hear like in the background as time went on like in the 30s and 40s and 50s like they just didn't want drums in country music at all and then later on as a country musician started to want more of a backbeat the at first they started doing this thing where they would just have the bass player hit the bass as they were playing to provide a little bit of a backbeat and eventually they were allowed to add a a rim shot so that you can hear in the background the only drums in the song are just somebody hitting the rim of a snare drum because that was like for a long time that was the only thing that was like socially acceptable to be in country music was just the tapping of a rim of a of a snare drum i yeah i it's interesting seeing this stuff of him kind of you know doing doing a very well manicured southern twang while he sings um it's really effective but it's it's just funny to me cuz he doesn't speak that way at all and not that you necessarily have to but it's 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 very interesting to me cuz it is such a choice you know it is a choice with a capital C. Yeah, for sure. And I, well, and I, I think we'll get into this more. I mean, obviously, the elephant in the room that we have not quite spoken about is that like there's there's going to be a lot of parallels between this story and the most popular episode of Deep Cuts of all time, Andrew WK. And in in the same way that Andrew WK is like a an exaggerated version of the type of manufactured personality that is created in pop music the way that he presented a sort of like over the top version of what all musicians are i think that garth brooks is also and i'm not talking about chris gaines i'm talking about garth brooks he is also almost like an over the top exaggerated version of what most country pop artists are because no, none of none of these artists, they're, they're, none of their 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 uh, their twangs are real. It's all affectations. I, I think Garth Brooks is like the most over the top and the most like I am playing a character that is like a country boy, all American singer. But they're all like that. Most country music beyond 1990, people are doing heavily affected Southern twangs in their voice that they don't actually have in their actual speaking voice. Brooks's second album, No Fences, was released in 1990 and spent 23 weeks at number one. From this point on, Brooks became a force to be reckoned with in the country music scene, leaving a legacy that few country stars would even come close to rivaling. However, that's not what we're going to focus on today. We're going to focus on when the sweet taste of success loses all its flavor. A baseball star, a rock star, and a secret agent walk into a bar. And they're all Garth Brooks. With Brooks's records Rope in the Wind, The Chase, and Beyond the Season tearing up the sales charts, Brooks found himself with an immense amount of power and money. He parlayed this into his first world tour to coincide with the release of his record In Pieces in 1994. Want to guess how this went? Yet another number one record, despite an antitrust lawsuit involving Brooks being pissed off at used record stores for selling copies of his albums so that he got no residuals. Which is so funny. I was not aware of this, but in this research, there's this whole side story with Garth Brooks where he fucking sued all of these used record stores 
for selling his records, which is just it's really interesting to me that that, you know, like in the Napster episode, we talked at length about Metallica and how that backfired and how they were on the wrong side of history and blah, 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 blah. And this is kind of the same thing. But I mean, and maybe it's more well known in like hardcore country circles but I've never heard anyone talk about Garth Brooks being an asshole and suing mom and pop record stores, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, that was the thing is like Garth Brooks, Garth Brooks was like obsessive over like ownership of his image and all these things like he and to a, he was like he was like obsessive over it. There's other stories. He, he was offered he was offered a role by Steven Spielberg in Saving Private Ryan. And he was also offered a role by Steven Spielberg in the movie Twister. And he turned them both down because he didn't want to be upstaged by Tom Hanks. And he didn't want to be upstaged by special effects in Twister. And and we're, we're going to get into this. But a big part of the whole reason why they started to make this Chris Gaines movie or wanted to make this Chris Gaines movie is because the only thing that he could accept was a movie that was starring and all about him specifically. Like he could not, he wanted to get into Hollywood, but he just couldn't bear the idea of starting at the bottom and like being a supporting actor. <laughs> There's so much to discuss there. I mean, the fact that it, it, if anything, it's, it's just kind of a evidence to the mechanism of the industry side of Hollywood where, you know, what's that quote film is mechanism that generates empathy. And it's, it's really not, it's just it's a mechanism that like devours commercial viability. So if you have any sort of clout or monetary value in any other walk of life, you're going to end up in a movie. Fucking what's his fucking name? Tesla. What the hell is his name? The, the Tesla owner. Elon Musk is in Iron Man 2. You know what I mean? No one wants to see him on on screen. No one wants to. No, we don't. We don't want this. But he's worth so much. And people draw parallels between him and Tony as like he's the real world Tony that it's. Like, oh, we're going to throw him in there. He's worth a billion dollars. Through 1998, Brooks saw a second world tour, multiple number ones and a near unprecedented amount of fame as a country artist. But here's where things start to get weird. I'm coming down there to play ball. It is going to hopefully benefit children, but at the same time, this is something that I'm not taking not serious. So uh, I'm going there down there to stand next to Tony Gwynn and, and Wally Joyner, and hopefully when they look at me and see the Padres uniform on my chest, I'd like for them to stand proud and say, you know, the guy's trying to be a ball player. <laughs> this is Garth Brooks playing baseball, playing, playing pro baseball. the fucking Padres. And please don't take this wrong. If I wouldn't have cut underneath the second one, I, I think I'd have been, I think I'd have got a dinger. I, I was real pumped. It was down the left field line, but I got underneath it. I saw it as fat as Tuesday coming right down the pike and just missed it. Is that a saying? I saw it as fat as Tuesday? <laughs> that was a real, that was a real down home Southern boy way of saying I sucked. That, that was a bad game. I was, I performed badly. I saw I saw it as fat as Tuesday. What? <laughs> so yeah, that's right. That's Garth Brooks in 1998 joining the fucking San Diego Padres for spring training. Why? Because he wanted to be a baseball player. And also because in 1998 he founded a charity called Touch 'em All Foundation with Major League Baseball. This nope. is totally real. 
Nope. <laughs> it's totally real. You you didn't think that one all. through, Garth. Touch them all. Nope, Garth. Nope. <laughs> Go back. Touch them all. Go like, back. What do you think that meeting was Re- like? Where he and his rethink, rethink it, Garth. Rethink it. You're almost there. Just go back, read it a couple more times. You're almost there. All right, so so Mr. Brooks, I hear that you want to start a foundation to work with professional baseball players in order to influence the youth away from doing drugs and premarital sex and into playing baseball. What do you what do you want to call your charity? Touch them uh, all. I don't know. T- touch them all? I don't I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good one, Garth. I don't know if you should have your kids charity called Touch them all. Why? Why? Cause I want them to all touch the ball, you know? I want them all to get touches, you know? I want to touch them all. Mm. I, you know, I want, I want to touch all the kids. Nope. You see, you make you saying that makes it very clear that I understand what you're trying to say, but it's very clear that you don't know fully what you're saying. Almost to like a degree that's almost like a parody. Like this is something that would be in an episode of South Park or something. No, I think I'm going to go with touch them all. I think I'm going to think I'm going to go with touch them all. But, 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 but Garth, just maybe like kids with baseballs. What about ball baseball kids? Kid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. What if we call them ball kids? Kid kid balls? Ball. Put your balls on the kid? Put your balls on the kids, right? This is great. I'm, I, you're, you're my muse. Remember that. Whenever I, when, I'm, when this whole thing gets big and famous, I'm going to tell everybody that this was your idea. You gave me this idea, and you're going to get all the credit for it. No, Mr. Mr. Brooks, please. No, the, the, touch, touch them all is fine. That's good. Fine. It's fine. Touch them all. Fuck it. Just sign right here. Fine. Touch them all. I think that the, I think that it actually makes a lot of sense to me because this was something I was going to kind of say it before, but I feel like there's a very specific breed of guy that Garth Brooks is exactly this person. And it's somebody. And, and I, the reason why I thought of it is because in a lot of interviews about the baseball thing, I mean, the thing that we just saw just then and also the Chris Gaines thing, like in that interview we just watched, he emphasizes, I just want everyone to know. That like we're doing this for this charity, but also I just want everyone to realize that like I'm taking this seriously. I'm going to be a real ball player. And he says similar things about the Chris Gaines thing where he's, yeah, this is like a side project. It's kind of like a concept thing. It's kind of like a joke. But I just want everyone to know that I'm being serious about this. I'm making a real rock record. This isn't like some this isn't some gag or whatever. Like I'm serious about this. And I feel like there's a very specific breed of person who is like really obsessed with the idea that they can do anything and that like all they need is just to apply themselves and they can like they can they can be good at literally anything. And another person that comes to mind that's like this just that I've seen from interviews is Scott Bakula, because he's also somebody who tried his hand at playing professional baseball. And if you look, if you go, if you watch interviews with him, he acts the exact same way where he's I know you think I'm just an actor or whatever but I'm going to be a great baseball player and he's like really cocky and I think there's there's very specific people that are like this where they just are really cocky about the idea that they can do anything that they try to do and they will be good at it and maybe that's true maybe they will be good at it I'm not even saying that they're not I'm not saying that they're like secretly incompetent or whatever like maybe maybe Garth Brooks really could have been a great professional baseball player maybe Scott Bakula could have been a great pro baseball player but the thing is, is that because they have this thought in their mind, they are like less open to like feedback and like listening to people who are like, this is not a good idea. You can't call your children's charity. Touch them all. 
and they just they just can't hear it because in their mind they did it and therefore it's good and garth brooks just totally just comes off as that kind of guy to me i think there's also a component which like i think this baseball thing is the canary in the coal mine for chris Gaines because i think whether he wants to admit it or not garth brooks at this point in time is like grappling with existential nothingness like he's so i started out small town dude went to school got this degree in advertising i played baseball but didn't pan out and then i played music and now i've just lucked into this life that's just like unreal amazing and i'm traveling the world and i have all this money and i'm married and i'm having these kids and what else is there what else you know what are the what are the dreams that i've wanted to accomplish that i haven't been able to i never i never got to do my baseball thing well fuck it i'm gonna i have all this money now i'm gonna put myself in a position where i'm gonna try and be a professional baseball player and you know it pans out not (laughs) in an amazing way but it pans out like he went and put on a fucking padres uniform and played for them that's closer than i've ever gotten to being a fucking padre player like good for you i guess when you can buy your way in buy your way in why not and and lord knows you've tried (laughs) i've spent so much money trying to play for the san diego padres yeah but it's you know it's like it's not garth brooks money it's not it's not fuck you thunder rolls money it's hey can i have here's a here's 20 bucks can i just walk on the field yeah can i here's here's 75 dollars and a burrito can i can i no i can't walk on all right this would be a recurring love affair for brooks he would revisit baseball multiple times over his life Brooks's performance on the field did not warrant management placing him on the regular season roster. However, he was offered a non-roster spot, but declined. That is crazy to me. But that's the thing. It's he the got exact, offered a no- It's the exact same thing as as the Saving Private Ryan thing. In to him, he was either going to be like his thing was like I'm going to become a pro baseball player, and by virtue of the fact that I am Garth Brooks and I'm this like huge country star. I will be the star of this team because everybody will be like, holy shit, Garth Brooks, the me- the mega successful country singer is like a good enough player to be on this pro team. But the idea of being a non-roster spot, that's not that's not acceptable to him because he's not the center of attention. He's not the main character of this thing, so he won't do it. The following season, Brooks signed with the Mets. This spring training stint was also this spring training stint. This spring training stint was also was also a poor performance for weirdly written. This spring training stint was also a poor performance for Brooks, resulting in a zero for 17 batting record. In 2004, Brooks returned to baseball with the Kansas City Royals. He got his first and only hit off of Mike Myers, which is hilarious. I choose to believe that it was Mike Myers, even though it's spelled differently. Mike (laughs) Myers, the comedian. That's the only way that he could have gotten a hit was was whenever during like celebrity cameo week when when Mike Myers played dressed in full Austin Powers costume. Yeah, yeah. In 2019, Brooks made a return to spring training, joining the Pirates to promote his charity, which in case you forgot, is called Touch 'em All. No Garth, no Garth, no Garth. Bad Garth. Bad Garth. Stop it. Stop it, Garth. Here, I, I I hate to do this, but I have to rub your nose in this, Garth. Here, do you see that? Do you understand it now? Do you understand that touch them all when paired with the idea of a child's charity is just not a good look? It's just not the thing? 
I understand what you're trying to say. Like you're, you're trying to touch them, you know, in that way of touched by an angel, but there's a reason why family guy did that one cutaway that one time where it was touched by an angel. And then they were cut to a courtroom and the lawyer was like, show me where the angel touched you. That's because it sounds bad. It sounds bad. No Garth. In 1999, Garth Brooks went on a sojourn of rejuvenation. He attempted to take what was arguably the most recognizable male music artist on the planet Earth and reinvent him. He was tired of the infinite vista of success. So he decided to try and start at the bottom again, only this time in a wig. Brooks and his production company, Red Strokes Entertainment, in conjunction with Paramount Pictures, began to develop a vehicle for Brooks to star in, a massive country artist, pseudo-professional baseball player, and serial entrepreneur dude, so why not make him a movie star? The picture they would develop together was titled The Lamb. It would revolve around a fictional rock star named Chris motherfucking Gaines. Andrew, when when did you first come in contact with Chris Gaines? Well, whenever I was seven, I, I walked into the touch em all office and no, the, when it was happening, that's the thing about this is this is all just woven into my childhood in a, in an, in an inexorably memorable way. Garth Brooks was the biggest thing in where I was from. And whenever Boswell, New Mexico, yes, Boswell, New Mexico. And when, which, you know, to be clear, just, you know, just to give listeners like a geographical context, Sposwell, New Mexico is located on in eastern New Mexico. So very just on the border of West Texas, like you could literally just walk across the street to be in in Texas. And the so a lot of the culture in that area was just Texas culture. But the whenever whenever this Chris Gaines thing happened, it was like a thing that everybody talked about. It was just like adults being like, Garth Brooks, what is he doing? This is weird. And and I remember just being at, there was this chain of book slash video stores slash music stores called Hastings. And it was, it was like, it was like a Borders and a Sam Goody and a Blockbuster just in one. And I remember being at Hastings and in the middle where the music part of the store was, just a big stand with big cardboard cutout of Chris Gaines and the albums all on this rack. And it was just this big thing. It was this big like presentation of the Chris Gaines greatest hits album. And I don't think I could have articulated it at the time because, you know, obviously we've talked about this a billion times on this show. You and Andrew talked about this a billion times on the show. The, the, the way that we're fascinated and interested in these types of like performance art and weird like blurred lines between reality and fiction and like the way that people adopt personas but i don't i could not have articulated any of that stuff at that time whatsoever but all i knew was that i was just like i don't understand why but this is really cool and weird and confusing and exciting to me did you but did you realize that it was because at some some of the records because there's two pressings of the Chris Gaines record. One is Chris Gaines' greatest hits, and the other is the same record, but it's Garth Brooks as in really large letters at the top, and then Chris Gaines' greatest hits at the bottom. Did you know it was Garth Brooks when you first encountered it, or did you just think of it as... Well, the one that I encountered was just the Chris Gaines' greatest hits. I remember specifically because it was like, that was the thing that I was so fascinated by, was that he was literally presenting it like it was a different guy 
and a different artist and it was his album that he made and i i was just so confused and excited by that idea and i just didn't understand it because i'd never experienced anything like that before and i think maybe i think maybe i there was a time at the beginning when i might have thought it was a different guy but you know interestingly enough i think that the chris gaines thing like actually helped me to kind of like understand that sometimes things aren't what they seem because i remember that whenever the blair witch project came out and the whole marketing stunt around it was that it was a, it was found footage of these real people that got lost in the woods and this foot it was this was real documentary footage i full heartedly uh, believed that i literally went around like debating with people that it was real and people would be like it's not real it's just like a movie thing and i was like i was i like debated with people and insisted that it was real and i was like no they said it was real there's a website here where it has all this stuff I was I was insistent that it was real. I fully believed that marketing campaign and I didn't want to like not believe it. Like it was it was like a Santa Claus thing where somewhere in the back of my mind, I kind of knew that it wasn't real or had the opportunity of not being real. But I wanted to believe it was real so badly that I just was insistent that it was real. And maybe part of that was like uh, wanting to just believe in this cool thing. And part of it was just like that I didn't want to feel like I had been tricked or something. But I think the Chris Gaines thing, which happened afterward, I think that actually helped me to realize, oh, as as absurd as it sounds, sometimes people just lie about things in like on commercials and stuff like that. Because I, I like I, I, I didn't have a conception that they would just lie and make up something. And not that the Chris Gaines thing was like a bad lie. It was obviously just like a it was a it was a promotional stunt and this weird performance art thing. It wasn't like they were deceiving us or whatever, but it made me realize like, oh, like grownups will just lie about things sometimes. And it, and it like helped me to realize that to the point where I wasn't as like gullible anymore, I think. Yeah, I I think I first found it. I think I first found it on like on VH1. Like I think I saw I don't remember if I saw one of the music videos or like an interview where somebody was talking about how stupid Chris Gaines was. And I was like, what the fuck is Chris Gaines? I don't know what that is. And so I like did a bunch of research and was like, what? He, <laughs> Garth Brooks <laughs> played a fictional character? What? But I, I never, I didn't have a lot of interaction with it when it was first happening. But it's it's fascinating to me. Like this whole thing is just so fucking weird. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I, I, I saw the, because I, I, I loved Behind the Music when I was a kid. Like I watched every episode of Behind the Music multiple times to the point where I could like literally recite lines from episodes of behind the music like i like i can recite like from the from the metallica episode there's several quotes from that that i could just sit here and recite like whenever lars ulrich is talking about the bus crash the bus crash that they have whenever cliff burton died and he's he's sitting there and he's we were we were being thrown around in the bus like clothed in a dryer and then like whenever james hetfield is talking about whenever they're performing in in Montreal and then the explosion goes off and burns him and they're trying to get these French guys to take him to the hospital and he's we're telling him get us to a hospital and then the guy goes ah hospitality yes like I have all these I've, I've watched those so many times that I have like literal lines from them memorized so I definitely watched the Chris Gaines episode which even more mystified me because I'm just like the f it's like it's like a documentary about this guy as if he's a real guy. Like it blew my mind. Like I did not think these things were possible at the time. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to watch a little bit of this. And, and in case you didn't pick up from what Spandrew was saying, like 
for somehow Garth Brooks conned VH1 behind the music into making a full one hour episode all about Chris Gaines, the fictional character, as if he's real. And Garth Brooks plays him in the whole thing. It's fucking I, I kind of feel like Garth Brooks was just like, if I pay to produce this, will you put it on the air? And they were like, Ugh, fucking fine. I, I, that's got to be what it is, because it's just I mean, we'll, we'll watch this. We'll watch a little bit of this right now. But like one of the things that we're going to talk about, hopefully, is that in retrospect, I feel like Garth Brooks has sort of like downplayed this a little bit as it was all just an attempt at making a movie. But when you actually look back on this stuff, it's no way, bro. Like you had a little bit more invested in this than just it was a marketing stunt for a movie because it's like the movie was called The Lamb. That is a terrible title for a movie. If all you're trying to do is just kickstart your acting career, that is like some pretentious ass shit. No, like The Lamb. That's the name of the movie is The Lamb. There's no way that that's not part of some sprawling vision that Garth Brooks had like during a late night mushroom trip or some shit like this whole thing is like that. And you and some of the details in this in this thing we're about to watch is this is this is some of the weirdest shit I've ever seen, like in in popular mainstream culture like the fact that he's like the number one recording artist of all time and he made this weird shit is mind-blowing also if the listener wants to go watch the full thing you can find it on daily daily motion it is not yeah. on youtube yeah, it's not on youtube but it is on daily motion well that's, i mean and that's the weird thing is it's this is not on youtube i mean and this goes back to the thing is like garth brooks is like he's like obsessive about controlling his own IP and the ownership of things and his own, in his, in his own, his own, uh, what is the word I'm trying to say? I just said it earlier image. Yeah. His own image. None of his music is on any streaming service and it's not on YouTube. So you can't listen to this album unless you like the way that I listened to it was the only place it's on is Pandora. And that was how I was able to listen to it. But otherwise it's not anywhere else. It's not on YouTube. It's not on Spotify. This isn't and you can tell that it was because he specifically or his management like goes out and like issues takedowns and is no take this down and threatens people with lawsuits constantly because you can't find this anywhere other than this random obscure daily motion link where like daily motion is like the is like the fucking third. It's like the the silk road of the Internet. Like you can find anything on here. He was a rocker who liked fast cars and even faster women. Sex. That's the greatest thing about being a musician. His passion for music was rivaled by only one thing. I've gone to his hotel room on occasion, and there have been more women there than I would count on one hand. But his addiction to sex finally forced Chris Gaines to seek help. Fortunately, he did get help because if he didn't, he was headed down a path that was just destructive. Chris Gaines' solo career took him to the top of the charts. Then his manager took him to the cleaners. I turned Chris Gaines from a nobody into a superstar. His world tours were renowned for their outrageous antics. I remember going over to Chris's house. He was packing and... He was packing a chainsaw on his back. There was a chainsaw on tour, yes, there was. 
When he lost his best friend, he almost lost his way. Heaven knows I'm head over heels at the show. <laughs> Fuck, this music is so bad. Like a brother thing going. Chris's face was horribly disfigured in a spectacular car crash. You live with your face for 25 years and then just have it totally reshaped. It's, it's not an easy thing to get along with. But he came back to fight another day. He basically had said to them, you know what, I'm the king now, and you're going to answer to me. Now, Rock's Mystery Man revealed behind the life of Chris Gaines. All right, so, so there's a stupid amount to unpack just in that opening, but I, the main things that I want to discuss briefly are, so this, the idea here is, the idea that we're being told is that his production company is trying to get this movie made called The Lamb, which is going to be a film starring him as this rock star Chris Gaines, and they're trying to do an advance marketing for the movie to prove to Paramount that there's going to be an interest, a fan base interest in Chris Gaines. And so he releases this record, Chris Gaines' Greatest Hits, which is a quote-unquote greatest hits record of all of the best Chris Gaines music, which is funny because he's never had an album out, but they're pretending like he did. And he's had all these albums and these are the, the best performing singles. And they and it's and it's not just generic it's not just oh we made up that or whatever. Like they literally created like the name of all of the different albums, like the years that they came out. There's a, there's extensive backstories around the creation of the albums, the places that he was at in his career when he made the albums, and then the songs on the album are sort of plucked out of that of that world building and taken and be like, here's one song from that album that we spent 10 minutes discussing the history of. And so this behind the music episode is really like the Rosetta Stone for decoding the character of Chris Gaines because he, he, he talks about Chris Gaines a lot in interviews and, you know, the story of that, like, he was this young kid in this band crushed with his best friend. The best friend died and it kind of sent him spiraling. He got addicted to drugs and all this other stuff, a sex addiction, and then he kind of has this car accident come to jesus moment gets plastic surgery to reshape his face and then he comes back and now this the 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 era that we're gonna see garth brooks as chris gaines is gonna be like the comeback era for chris gaines but the thing that's most interesting about it to me is actually less the music or the virality of the stunt or the commitment to the bit and more the individual building block pieces and what they say about Garth Brooks as a person and what he's frustrated or insecure oh, yeah. about. There, like, that's the biggest thing is there is so much to unpack about like the what the what the story says about Garth Brooks and like all of his neuroses and things that he was like struggling with at the time. So much. Well, the, the I think the biggest case in point is that Garth Brooks is self-conscious about the fact that he's a pretty boring person in real life. You know, he's he wishes he I think it's pretty apparent that he wishes that he was this larger than life character and it's kind of sad on one level because it really goes to what we were talking about earlier of the kind of existential questioning of he has all this money, he has a marriage which 
is he faithful in his marriage? I, I don't know, but it doesn't seem like he's not faithful. It seems like he's a faithful husband and he's not out here having all this crazy sex because he chooses for his avatar to be a literal sex addict. Yeah, which is like the main thrust pun definitely intended of the whole story is that he has this overarching multi-decade long sex addiction. The other thing that's really fascinating to me is, and I can't tell whether this is like just a fetishistic thing or whether he's actively trying to send a message here. Garth Brooks, the character, plays with a white backing band, plays music particularly aimed at, or predominantly aimed at white people, and is just a general kind of howdy doody, like white dude. You know what I mean? It's not like he's doing honky tonk, badonka donk, like infusing hip hop shit in his music or whatever. Like he's white dude straight down the middle. But in this Chris Gaines story, his best friend is black. Yeah, the like woman a, who there's a heavy incorporation of black people in in the thing, almost like it was a conscious choice. It's I I don't know what to do with it. There's just something there and i don't know what it is really yeah i mean it definitely it's like it's because of that reason obviously it's not like why are there black people in this but it's it's interesting that there are so many black people in this in a very seemingly purposeful strategic and in, way. in a divergent way i think that's the thing it'd be one thing if he if that was a part of his public persona previously but it so isn't yeah he isn't he isn't and, fucking dave matthews right sure although now that we're talking about it can you imagine if dave matthews was chris gaines I kind of wish Chris Gaines had just been like a mantle that everybody kept like Andrew up. W, like the conspiracy theory about Andrew WK that he was just played by multiple people. I really wish that after this was such a fuck up that like Chris Gaines in air quotes got in another car accident. Yeah, you could just get into a, a car accident and have to have facial reconstructive surgery every time. <laughs> I kind of love that. It's like a combination of Doctor Who and then this is Spinal Tap how their drummers the just drummer. all die in like different over the top ways. <laughs> he regenerates. Like, I, every yeah, time like a the new- first time it's Dave Matthews and then the next time it's fucking Darius Rucker from Hootie and the Blowfish and then the next time it's fucking, you know. I I think that'd be hilarious. I wish I wish that the there was an, a legacy institution of Chris Gaines. I feel like we we missed out on that. 100%. I mean, Garth Brooks would have never allowed that though, but yes, you're right. I think it would have been great. Yeah, yeah. The and the other thing, and this isn't. I mean, this isn't getting into the the why that we're about to talk about. But the one little thing I wanted to mention before we get into that is the look of Chris Gaines. It's funny because everyone called him Goth back in the day, and there's an L.A. Times article that's like Garth Brooks goes Goth or whatever. And it's funny because like they didn't have the vocabulary to accurately describe his look at that time because it didn't exist yet, but. He does not look goth. He looks emo. He was like the first emo kid ever. Yep. Yeah, completely. The thing that I'm curious about is, okay, so he's got all of these kind of neuroses, right? Of he's projecting this sex image. He's projecting this wild man. I had a chainsaw image. He's projecting this like, I have really relatable problems like suing record companies and my manager stealing a shitload of my money. Which is, I get that that's what you're frustrated by, Garth, but I don't know that that communicates to a normal human being. There's a part in the VH1 thing where he's talking about it and he says, and then I started looking at the money and I realized that there was like 
500000 to $2 million missing at a time. And I was like, this isn't insignificant money. It's kind of a lot of money. Where is this money? And I was like, that's an insane... That's insane. It's insane that you would think that that would communicate to anyone other than like the 1%. Well, here's the thing about that. And it's, you know, going back to what you just said before, it's the overarching thing about the whole character and that whole VH1 behind the music special is like you said, Garth Brooks is like, and it's funny because he's, he's not giving himself enough credit because he is a very weird guy. The fact that anybody would do this, you are a fucking weirdo. So he's not giving himself enough credit, but in his mind, he's like you said, he's self-conscious and insecure because he's just a normal dude. He's not particularly exciting and his life is not particularly exciting. And he doesn't have that romantic, crazy life and career story that people in those episodes of Behind the Music have. And so he's crafted this persona that has the crazy life, that has the the, the tragic backstory that he doesn't actually have that is eccentric and brings chainsaws on on tours and things like that and has and it you know is addicted to groupies and things like that and the other thing is is that he's he also crafts a story around him himself being persecuted within the music industry because he's so successful and i mean i'm sure that he was screwed in some way to the extent that every recording artist is screwed by record labels but i also think that on a scale on a spectrum, he's probably like the least screwed of anybody. He's just like the number one music artist of all time, massively successful. I'm sure that even if somebody was kind of screwing with him on the back end, probably so negligible that it just wouldn't even matter. And so he looks back and, you know, if you don't know, Garth Brooks, you, you kind of alluded to it earlier that he was more influenced by rock than country, but he's a huge Billy Joel fan, which is another funny thing. That in the behind the music, he just gets, he's, hey, Billy, my number one hero of all time. Will you just, I'm going to pay you to come on and pretend like you're my friend. Okay. And then Billy Joel's in the episode, like talking about him as if he's a friend of his, but he's, he idolized Billy Joel. And that's why, you know, one of, one of Garth Brooks big hits was shameless, which was a Billy Joel cover. But famously, Billy Joel was one of the few musicians early on that was outspoken about being screwed over by the music industry and he would talk about it openly in ways that a lot of other big musicians big recording artists didn't and you know he had a he had a song called the great wall of china which was about his friend and manager like stealing a bunch of money from him and he would like shit on the on the record labels in interviews constantly and i can see that same thing where he sees, oh, like all of my idols, like Billy Joel and the Eagles and all these guys, they were like, they were outspoken about being screwed over by the music industry. And they were like rebels. Like they were, they got, they got pats on the back because they, they like said, screw it. I'm going to speak out against the label, even though it's going to risk my career or whatever. In the face of not having that same persecution dynamic where he got to be a rebel. He just created a fictional version of it. And that's that's kind of the under that's the overarching theme of the whole thing is there's this through line of the Chris Gaines character, like fighting back against the record industry, like in the first band, the first fictional band that he was in crush. They were like, oh, we, we put out the first album 
and nobody noticed it until it hit the stores. But when we, we look closely, Chris is flipping off the camera. And then Chris Gaines is, I just was, you know, directing that bird flip at the music industry. And then that's, that's the whole special is just him being like this rebel, quote unquote, who's like, you know, noticing he's being scammed and he realizes his manager is ripping him off and all these things like that. And th- that totally is what it is. He's he's boring. He's a normal guy. He has no real drama in his life or in his career. And he was never screwed over to the place per the, to the point where he can feel persecuted. And so this this Chris Gaines character is like this island where he's compartmentalized all the power fantasies that he never got to have, but now has the money to pay to create as its own little alternate dimension. It's it it really is. This should be something that I fucking love. This should be my favorite thing ever. There's just only one problem. The music sucks. I listeners, if you never learn anything else about me in in my time here on this earth and on this show, Andrew Spice, I want you to know that I wholeheartedly disagree with Dave. And this this album has some legit 90s bangers on it. This is this is where we're going to part ways on this. And I'm sure that Dave really wanted to have fun shitting on this for the rest of this episode. And it's he's not going to get it from me. <laughs> you are an insane person. This album fucking blows. But we'll, we'll come back to this. I'm sure. Chris Gaines' fictional biography is that he was born in Australia, moved to the States around when he was five, and got involved in the music industry against the better wishes of his parents, who were competitive swimmers. Eventually, he developed a sex addiction, was in a band called Crush, and then got into a car accident, where Brooks would take up playing the character. Also, so, just I have to just say really quick, obviously, you know, these aren't real people, so it's not like that big of a deal, but I just had to point out that, and this was an intentional decision written by somebody, ostensibly Brooks, but his dad... His mom was a swimmer, and then his dad was her coach. So his dad was like a literal groomer, and that was an that was a thing that somebody wrote. The film that this would all lead up to, The Lamb, would tell the story from the perspective of an obsessive fan trying to track down Gaines after this accident. Brooks would appear in the film in interviews and musical performances. However, Paramount was a little nervous about the production not being sure that the public would respond to Brooks as Gaines. So in order to prove the popularity of the character, Brooks released an album titled Chris Gaines' Greatest Hits. Its first single, Lost in You, is this. This fucking sucks, dude. This is a good song. This is not a good song, bro. This is a good song. I mean, I I think you're responding more to the way he looks. He looks ridiculous. But this is not a bad song. This is if a bad any, song. Bro. If anything, if anything, it is just a rip-off of more than words by extreme. More than words? Bad song. Lost in You by Gaines, even worse song because it's just is, more than words. This is a bad. legit jam. I'm gonna I'm gonna create I'm gonna create a poll in the Facebook group and we'll see how many people agree with you and how many people agree with me that this is a fucking banger. 
This fucking sucks. You, you, would you put this song on on a Saturday night when you were like, yeah, let's fucking do some shit? This? No. Mm-mm. I mean, I wouldn't put like Rite of Spring by Stravinsky on at that time either. It doesn't mean it's not good. Nah, bro. This whole album is like Chris Gaines. It's going to be a rock fucking album. Blah, 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 blah. And then this is the single? No. No. That was, I mean, that was the thing. That was the thing. There's always the ballad on the rock album. Every every rock album in the 90s had a ballad. Yeah, but here's the thing, though. The, the, the ballad is the subverting expectation, right? It's the, we're Metallica, and we've done all of these fucking, you know, aggressive songs, and now we're going to bring it down a notch, and it's going to be, oh, man, I never thought of it. I never saw you in that light before. This is the first time we're being introduced to Chris Gaines, and it's this? Maybe for the normies. No! Maybe for the normies, but not the hardcore gain gain the gainers. The gainers. Well, <laughs> Dave, have you have you heard this though? Song fucking sucks. Oh my god. <laughs> what? There's no more waiting. Already so much better. For love. I'm telling you, it's the you're just thinking of how ridiculous he looks. This does not sound but better than the other song. So much better. Also hilarious that he would choose this. This is this is Child Gam- Childish Gambino. But by, by the way, in case you didn't recognize his voice. This is also better, A, because of the chorus behind him. And also better because it leans into the R&B side of it. Which leads me, that that reminds me of, so the funniest thing about the whole Behind the Music episode. Because honestly, like, it's obviously ridiculous. And Chris Gaines slash Garth Brooks playing Chris Gaines is so, it's, it's, it's like the equivalent of the emo Spider-Man from Spider-Man 3. It's so ridiculous. His characterization, the way he like whispers everything and just how his just the way he's he's not like a bad actor, but the way he's acting, it's it's like a character from a sketch. It's not it, it, it it's funny. It's not like serious in the way that I think well, that's that the other thing. we haven't talked about that, though, but we haven't talked about that. Why? Why do you think that he made the choice to have Chris Gaines whisper? He whispers everything. Why? I think that Garth Brooks is just a weird fucking guy. And that was his vision for what a like tortured genius sounded like. Like you think that because Garth Brooks in his everyday life is like a normal person, but has these desires to live this crazy life that he transposed that onto the Chris Gaines character. And so Chris Gaines as a character is this kind of soft spoken, sad emo boy but really, like, when he cuts loose, it's fucking crazy, and he has this sex addiction? Yes, exactly. 100%. And there's two things that I just really want to point out about that behind the music that are just really funny to me. The first thing is, they lit the whole... So, in case we kind of glossed over it before, Chris Gaines, he, he looks like an entirely different guy. He doesn't look like Garth Brooks. He's played by a different actor in the, in the, in the behind the music. And at a certain as a young point, as a young man as, as, a, a young as man. a young man, and then at a certain point in the story, after his original band falls apart because the lead singer dies in a plane crash, and after he like makes his first album, which is a hit, 
but then he like gets lost in the sex addiction thing and then he makes his second album which is darker and people don't like it because it doesn't have the same feel as his first album and then he goes through some other problems his dad dies all these things happen his house burns down after all these things happen he gets into a car crash because he's like recording at this studio and he's exhausted and the producer recommends that he just stays the night but he says no he's going home he drives home to his house and he's he falls asleep at the wheel he crashes and his face is horribly disfigured and then he has like facial reconstruction surgery and then after the surgery he looks like garth brooks and this is like a really weird story point in this whole thing that is literally the the sole reason why it was included was because they were like ah we can't get garth brooks to like look like a 20 year old guy so instead of trying to dress up garth brooks darth brooks instead of trying to dress up garth brooks and try to make him look 20 for these flashback scenes we're just going to get a young guy to play him and then we're going to contrive this story where he gets into a crash and his face is disfigured and then he gets plastic surgery and then he looks like garth brooks it's it's so funny to me that they that story was put into that just because they just thought oh yeah we can't pull off garth brooks as a 20 year old no way well the other thing too that's really interesting is that he like took this so seriously that he lost a lot of weight to play chris gaines like he lost 30 pounds to play chris gaines which is that's not insignificant like good for you garth yeah that's some commitment but the the funniest thing about the whole fucking episode is at the end after he hits rock bottom after he starts going to therapy for the sex addiction he has his like third act reversal and he starts playing in these small clubs to get back to his roots and he starts performing for these smaller audiences and he starts to find like his path and discover you know what he his purpose is which i think is another another part of that power fantasy where it's garth brooks being like i'm going to create a character who like finds his meaning in this way that i i haven't i don't but at the end as the episode is wrapping up he says and after i started playing those clubs i found something something that the critics said i never had i found soul (laughs) and he's wearing he's wearing that fucking wig and he's just this he's just this weird white dude whispering and he's i found soul (laughs) i laughed so hard I love something, it so something much. That, I, something that like nowadays that would only be done in the in the context of a ridiculous like Lonely Island parody. Would a white dude say that? But at this time, Garth Brooks thought that that was like genuinely profound. N- nothing says I found soul like a cheap <laughs> wig and a soul patch. <laughs> That's what they fucked up, though. They should have had him not have the soul patch until that and then scene. He grew and it. <laughs> he grew it. Yeah, well, I I, th- I gotta find this because we, I feel like we just have to listen to it because it's like me me paraphrasing it is just not good enough. To my record label, which scared me. It made me think I was getting old and I wasn't rebellious. But instead, what it did was it freed me up to actually do more music. Oh yeah, here's the part where internally within the universe, he he like creates a permission structure 
for his own real life self being a boring, successful dude that has never faced any adversity. This is the part where he creates that permission structure for himself right here. This is not what I was just trying to show you, but now, instead of being happy that they have it, you know, we're dealing with a very volatile personality who had some very definite ideas, who felt that anything that didn't work out quite as he wanted was something we had done to him. Ultimately, Chris dropped his lawsuit when his label agreed to renegotiate his contract. His new deal guaranteed him creative freedom and a greatly increased share of the profits. He walked out with a much higher royalty rate. He controlled all his recordings. He basically had said to them, you know what, I'm the king now, and you're going to answer to me. All of a sudden, I looked at myself as being a partner to my record label, which scared me. It made me think I was getting old and I wasn't rebellious. But instead what it did was it freed me up to actually do more music. So Chris Gaines, the character, is, you know, after all of my decades of rebellious spirit and living this, you know, eccentric lifestyle and, you know, getting screwed over by my record label and you know, bringing chainsaws on tour and sleeping with countless women, I realized at the end of the day that it's actually okay to be boring and just like a corporate musician dude who has like a sweet deal with his record label and doesn't have any problems with them. And it, they're just totally, you know, you're happy with your deal because at the end of the day, that just helps you make more music, man. It's actually better than having an interesting life. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, he just, he's like, he created this character just to validate himself. Like, it's, o it's okay, Garth. It's me, Chris. It's me, Chris Gaines. The crazy eccentric guy who's addicted to sex and has had a crazy life. And I'm just here to tell you, Garth, that it's okay that you're a boring dude. It's okay that you have nothing interesting about yourself other than that you're super rich. It, that's, that's actually better. It's, it's better that you were that way all along. I wasted all those years being interesting. <laughs> mm. By early 1996, Chris had turned a corner in his life. He began venturing out into the public eye for the first time since his car accident in 1992. Chris's attention soon turned back to music. He began a deeply personal search for the roots of rock and roll. So he decided he was just going to go out and he took the car, being a big blues fan, he headed towards the Mississippi Delta. So I find myself in the middle of Mississippi, never being there other than on tour. Just going to these small clubs. What was originally planned as a one-week road trip turned into two months of soul-searching. When Chris returned to Los Angeles, he was a different musician and a different man. And what I brought back was something that the critics said I never had. Something I never thought I had. I brought back soul. <laughs> also also i just realized i just put all the puzzle pieces together because we were talking earlier about oh it's weird that there seems to be this like weird focus on see there's like black people in this and like my girlfriend's black and my best friend is and i just realized that it really is what you were saying before. This whole thing, the whole part of, I didn't even make this connection until just now, but he's, they're like, you know, Chris Gaines went on some soul searching and he went, he was a big blues fan and he went to the, he went to the Mississippi Delta and he started playing in all these clubs and then he found soul. Like this is legitimately just like 
a dude just racked with white guilt who is trying to like rise above being thought of as this like milk toast like white dude and thought of as somebody who has has some kind of legitimacy in like the authentic world of rock and roll which is you know black performers playing playing rock music that's a hundred percent what this is i i i mean i think it, you're i think you're absolutely right but i also think oh my god the sincerity in his eyes when he says i found so amazing amazing i mean yeah but that's the thing though is i think that you know probably because of his career in advertising and the fact that he might have had you know he might have some business savvy and he might have to a certain degree you know engineered his career and made a lot of like savvy and sort of shrewd business decisions that got him to where he was and he might be somewhat aware of the fact that he's not authentic that he's sort of crafted a character that is this country artist that is not an authentic person country boy type guy that this is some this is him this weird guilt of feeling like a an imposter like feeling like a fraud and so he has created this character who is not only not a fraud but and i'm not even saying that garth brooks is a fraud like maybe he is maybe he isn't but just in his mind he knows i he he has that that thing at the back of his mind where he's like he's like i don't belong here i don't deserve to be here the only reason why i'm so popular is because i've crafted my career from a business perspective but i'm not like as a musician i'm not deserving of being in this position so he creates this character that not only deserves to be in this position you know has lived the life of an authentic person that you know deserves this spotlight but also is given the validation of the roots and the authenticity of rock music to the point where he has found soul <laughs> this fucking guy this fucking guy man let's let's watch this this conan interview clip because he he says some interesting stuff in this clip about chris gaines and how it came together and i'm curious if you buy this or if you think this is retroactive kayfabe yeah i think i think i know what i'm gonna say but let's watch this now you you did develop Chris Gaines, you said for for a movie. That's right. It, it was a yeah. it was a character in a movie, and you were not their first choice. Is that right? They wanted to go a different way. Yeah, I was not my first choice. Basically, I wanted somebody that was thin, beautiful, and lots of hair. So uh, you know, the first call I made was Steven Tyler, and you know he was uh, he was busy. He was sweet, but he was busy. And mm-hmm. then we asked everybody else on the planet, <laughs> and uh, there was only one guy left that was like open. Mm-hmm. So you said, "I'll do it." Yeah, I said, "I'll do it." Now, so so it's. Have you actually met any of your fans as this character? Have you gone yeah. out in public as Chris Gaines? Well, not meaning to. We were shooting the video for right now, the new single, and they knew it was a Garth video, and we were right out there in the streets of downtown. And I thought, geez, if I don't go out and see these people, then I'm not being me. But I sure as hell hate to go out looking like this. And you know, I just decided, hell, I'm just going to take my you know, my punches and go on out there. And they were really sweet to me. Even the Cowboys, you know, looking at you, they come up shaking your hand. I don't even notice you're any different, you know, <laughs> shaking your hand and they made me feel good. That's good. And there's some that probably don't know about the alter ego who just think you went crazy or something. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be the industry in every press <laughs> right. that there is out there. The, you're doing something, obviously you've got, you've got so many fans, but you, you, you do something that's interesting. Every millionth ticket that you yeah. sell, you give that, what do you give that person? You have a, you have a, a special prize for that person. Well, like the first million got a, a car. A uh, car. Yeah, and second one, you got a car and a trip. And then third, and you, you keep 
giving them like three of something than four of something. And they're, they're very sweet. You wish you could do it for everybody, but this is a way to say, you know, thanks to the people that are out. Yeah, we have. So you have the special, uh, the special thing where the, the millionth ticket sold at your concerts to a child. They're given a special, a special package where you, you take them and you, you, you let them like go with you on a, on one of your tours and you kind of show them everything. Like yeah, yeah, it's a it's an organization. It's called Abductum. They're like <laughs> abduct them all, <laughs> abduct them all. <laughs> no, now Garth, there's no like that's there's not even like a another meaning for that. It's not like there's no other way that you could interpret that other than that you were abducting children. Like no, it's well, I'm trying to abduct them away from their from their horrible situations and into you know the arms of God. You know, I'm trying to abduct them into the holy land. You know, <laughs> so this is just a cult. No, I I. A hundred and fifty thousand percent don't buy that at all. That is total bullshit. It reminds me of that the the guy. I don't even remember his name. Who gives a fuck what his name was? But the when they were trying that whole controversy that happened when they were trying to pick a new Jeopardy host, and then it turned out the guy who was hired was like the producer, the executive producer of the show, and then everybody was just like, "Oh, like this dude said all this like." misogynistic and like racist shit on this podcast and he's kind of a jerk and then there was there was a big controversy about it and then he stepped down and then he was eventually fired because they real they they learned that there was like some kind of like hr issue where he had created a hostile work environment on some other show or whatever and then he ended up like getting let go from from the from the job but during that whole thing whenever he was named as the named as the host the new host and he and there was like backlash to it he basically came out and he was like yeah, I didn't want to be host. It just kind of happened. There was this one week where somebody else was supposed to guest host and they didn't show up at the last minute. And I just had to go on stage and do it. And then people liked me. And then I just, Sony just said I should be the host. Like I didn't want this. And it reminds me of that where it's, that's a lie. That is fully a lie. You engineered that entire thing from the very moment one, you had it in your mind that you were going to create a situation where you could audition and then become the host. That was your plan the whole time. And it's the exact same thing here. You wanted to be Chris Gaines. This was this character that you created to exhaust all these demons that we've been talking about this whole episode. And in retrospect, you're like, I don't even want to do that dumb thing that everybody hated. They made me. I didn't even want to be this weird reflection of my deepest and darkest insecurities writ large through an artistic form that I had not worked in previously, but I thought might rejuvenate my career and create new and interesting challenges for myself as I've become stagnated in my current country music levels of meteoric success. I didn't even want that. They, they made me do it. I wanted it, be, I wanted it to be Steven Tyler, that young, beautiful guy. <laughs> Who I'm pretty sure is older than me. Needless to say, Chris Gaines's The Lamb never happened, and Brooks' artistic persona became the laughingstock of the music industry for a while. From 2001 to 2005, Garth Brooks retired from touring after his Scarecrow album came out. He repeatedly said that he had a hard time balancing touring and having a family. During his retirement, he made more money than any artist in history through a Walmart sales deal where he basically sold compilation records of all of his previous works, which is fucking insane that he made more money than anyone else in history <laughs> through a Walmart deal. Just by being like, you guys want to buy a little bit of Brooks, which is like the, the, the best songs from 94 to 97, or do you want to buy Brooks in fun? 
which is a compilation of my best songs from 97 to 2002. So in closing, you know, we we've been talking a lot about what Chris Gaines represents to Garth Brooks. We've been talking a lot about the kind of motivations behind Garth Brooks and how it all like meshes and melds together. But I think one of the questions that I had throughout this whole thing is like, is this a really interesting performance art piece or is it Garth Brooks just like diving into the Jim Carrey zone and getting lost in existential abyss? Well, before I answer that question, I just want to say one thing first and foremost, and it's that what kind of fucking maniac just changes one thing about themselves, like puts on a new accessory and then pretends like they're this other person and adopts this entirely new persona and commits to it to the point where they will just create this entire world surrounding this character that is all predicated off of just adding one thing to themselves. A fucking psychopath. That's who. Yeah. And and th- to answer your question, I think it's I think it's like literally 50-50. It's 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 just literally it's it's not one or the other. It's not some weird like gradient. It is just 50-50 that. It is somebody who wishes that they could be like a performance artist committed like genius but is just like too self-aware to be that and then it's their version of what that is which is very contrived and it is just a super rich guy who just basically dumped money into trying try in the same way that he tried to play baseball trying his hand at being a like genius performance artist guy and the results are still pretty fascinating i think i don't don't look at this and say oh how lame like he tried to do this thing like the thing that jim carrey did that that documentary about man in the moon where he was just like i'm i'm a method actor and i just went into this character like i watched that documentary i'm just like this is fucking lame shut the fuck up jim carrey you aren't some genius performance artist guy you're just like a rich dude who's just like bored and didn't like the didn't like the character that you were pigeonholed as but this i still find very fascinating well also like that's not really the jim carrey zone though right that's just method over commitment the jim carrey zone as we've discussed it previous is like his current period where he's painting shitty pictures of chairman mao and saying weird things that like none of this is real none of this matters and but on, i think like, i think that that was stuff. i think that was part of it though because i think i think they kind of retconned like, I do think that he did like a method acting thing when they shot Man on the Moon, but I think he kind of retconned significance to it where he was in that documentary. They're just like, he was like this genius who was channeling Andy and like he was Andy. Like, I think they retconned that and I definitely think it was part of the Jim Carrey zone. Copy that. Copy that. Do you think Garth Brooks loves kayfabe? I, I think that I think Garth Brooks is a weird guy. But I also think that he's kind of a like, it's funny because there was a quote from him where somebody was asking him how he like got the idea for Chris Gaines or whatever. And he said, I have a bunch of people around me that I pay to tell me what's cool because I don't know. And my thought was like, you got ripped off, man. Like <laughs> they, you got ripped off. They, they misled you. But, but I think that I think it's true, though. I think that 
Garth Brooks is somebody who does not have good instincts for what's interesting and artistic and cool. And I think that he thought this was really cool and he was really excited about this. And I think that he does kayfabe and he was he was fully on he he was fully on board with this. Like he put everything into this. But I think that the backlash and people making fun of it, I think it probably was like a slap on the wrist for him. And he was like, oh, I'm never doing that again. They hated it. He's just he's he has such he doesn't have enough of a grasp on on his own vision, artistic vision to to commit to something despite criticism. Like the fact that he was criticized for it, he was probably like, oh, I'm never doing that again. I'm never touching that again. That's that's what I think. Do you think it would have been different if he like wrote the music? Because he didn't write any of the music for Greatest Hits. So like, I th- I mean, yeah, for sure. I think it would be way more interesting if it was like this holistic vision on his part where he had all these ideas and he created this music that was like specifically tailor made for this vision. But in reality, he just hired a bunch of Nashville songwriters to make all the songs. Do you think it would have gone differently if he was wearing an eye patch? I mean, I don't know what you're getting at specifically, but I think that, you know, anything is typically better with an eye patch. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. This has been Deep Cuts. If you'd like to find me on the internet, you can do so at heydavebaker.com or at xdavebakerx on all them socials. Spandrew, where can people find you on the internet? I also just want to point out that there was one last question on this, which was, what if the music was just not awful? And Dave skipped over it because of the fact that I was like, this music is good. I'm trying to not have a fight. I'm trying to, I'm trying to preserve the friendship, you know? Uh, you can find me on, on tour with my with my musical act in which I have emo bangs and I'm singing some banger rock music that genuinely slaps uh, no cap straight bus which is that's that's what that's what Chris Gaines would be now like that that's that's what if 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 Garth Brooks did Chris Gaines now that's what it would be he would be saying that and uh, you can't find me on social media because I do not have social media, but if you want to pay your respects to the dear, sweet, beloved Papa Pricey, you can get his book, Deadbolt AI Private Eye, by going to his website, dapricerights.com. You can also follow us on social media. Go to Facebook and search Deep Cuts Podcast. You can go to our Facebook group where we talk about the show and make memes and other things by searching Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. You can join our Discord server where we talk about the show, make memes, and also talk about other things by going to bit.ly.com slash Discord. You can follow us on Instagram at DeepCutsPod. You can go to our website, DeepCutsPod.com, and get some merch by clicking on the shop where we have shirts and, and hats and fanny packs with cool Deep Cuts graphics on them. You can also get our Junior Sleuth, Mr. Treehouse Junior Sleuth patch by going to DeepCutsPod.com. You can also get one of the last few simple code Napster musical tape comics that are left in stock by going to DeepCutsPod.com and clicking on the shop. They're $12.99 each flat, and we have couple of them left so if you order one now you can maybe get one within the next couple of weeks there are a couple of people that have orders that i have not sent out yet because i've been on a trip and i just haven't had an opportunity to mail them but just know if you have ordered your deep cuts tape and you have not received it yet you'll be getting them soon i do have them and they are going to be shipped out to you i've just had some scheduling conflicts and that's it i'm going to go find my soul
Deep Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content.